Welcome to Mintcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 420.5, recorded on Sunday, September 3rd, 2023. Enjoying the cooler weather, I'm Joe. Back from the swamps, I'm Moss. And back on my feet, I'm Eric. In our innards section, we talk about Linux on mobile devices. And finally, the zero feedback and a couple of suggestions. We can move on to the Linux innards. Probably good that the uh, bi-weekly was fairly short because I just... Uh, the last time I had scrolled through the innards was like early yesterday, and I see that they grew a lot. <laughs> I, I was planning yeah. on a much more like freeform style thing, but I'm, I'm not sure how mm. much I'm I'm going to have to <laughs> jump in here uh, on my favorite topic, considering how much there is here. I blame you. Eric. Yeah, it's I did. I did suggest taking the AOSP at the end and putting it on next episode, but okay. nobody seemed to buy that. Well, well, let's let's see where we end up here, because when you said it, I don't think the notes were quite as robust as they, <laughs> they are right now. Um, I had started this off last week on the pre-show uh, stream where we were just sort of talking and uh, – they had asked if I wanted to be take part and participate, and I just said, yeah, I'm interested. And they said, well, okay, well, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> Put me on the spot. And something that had been on my mind is the idea of, I mean, I guess the right word for it is convergence, but the idea that you could have a mobile device that is powerful enough to run an actual operating system. And by that, I mean not just, you know, the standard fare of Android and iOS um, and the, the reason for that, I, I have some specific needs. I, what I really want is a tablet device. Um, and, and, and by that, I mean like literally a tablet that I can just hold the screen uh, and have, you know, strong touch features and everything sort of just works. And using it that way would really be light web browsing, media consumption, you know, basic stuff that you do with a tablet. It, the stuff that mobile operating systems actually do fairly well, right? Full screen, um, you know, all of that stuff. But the problem in the part where they fall down is that I'd also like to be able to do some modest productivity work. You know, I'm not talking like compiling things or, you know, uh, encoding video. Like I, I'm really just looking at... Um, I would like to have a desktop class browser so that I'd be able to work on websites and, um, you know, look at developer options and have developer tools available and that, that sort of stuff that mobile browsers just don't really let you do, uh, or at least do as well. And so Android, iOS, they don't do a really good job of that. So Something I tried a few years ago was I got a Lenovo Duet Chromebook OS tablet, which is basically a tablet with a detachable keyboard, and it has Chrome OS on it, obviously. And Chrome OS actually was fairly compelling uh, in that the, it had a full Chrome browser, uh, which was you know that 
tick that box, but the hardware was just abysmal. It was so slow and just nearly unusable um, to the point where I, I really only had it for a few weeks and, and I just gave up and took it back because <laughs> it was just so bad. Um, you know, I've had, go ahead, Joe. I really feel like um, we've had most of the stuff that you wanted in, in um, a mobile format, but um, you're going to be surprised when I say this. We kind of lost it after Windows Mobile 6.5. Because before, um, well, before Windows Mobile 7 and Windows Mobile 8, um, you had this huge library of different uh, applications made by users that go all the way back to the first iteration of Windows Mobile. And Windows Mobile, um, depending on the desktop you chose, could look exactly like a, a desktop experience. Now, granted, it was really limited by the hardware that it was on and that Usually you didn't have a video output. You were usually dealing with like a 4.5 inch screen on like the um, Dell Axum X51V or uh, similar ones of that size. But I mean, I, I remember having one and the amount of things that you could do on it with the large library of applications that were there was absolutely insane. It seemed yeah. like for a while there, convergence and, and the idea that you'd want a device that was more capable than a, just a phone or a, a tablet, it did seem like that was a thing for a while. In the PDA and, and market, I don't know, though. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what happened. Like, I just, when I went looking for Purism devices. Purism happened. <laughs> Purism? Uh, oh, uh, I don't know about that. They, they announced convergence like, before they even had devices. Yeah. Well, <laughs> look, go and just read their articles where it's like true convergence, not this stuff you've been seeing. It's like, okay, purism, if you say so. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, I mean, I, I, I've tried to make do with what's out there. Um, and, and I do think, you know, Chrome OS was a fairly compelling option if it were to run on better hardware. Unfortunately, better hardware means expensive hardware. And that's the other part of this is that I really, I don't think I should have to spend $1,000 or more to get a decent piece of hardware. Because again, I'm not looking to have a full laptop, you know, workstation style experience. I understand it's a low power device. Um, and I'm willing to have it not be hugely performant. I, I just need it to be performant enough to actually use and not literally be so, so slow that it's, you know, painful. Yeah, I, so, I note looking at all the Android tablets out there that you either pay $1,000 for a tablet or you get a tablet that's get a still running boy. like Android 8. Yeah. 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 yeah, they they yeah, don't and, and, they don't like putting newer processors in tablets. I don't get it. No, I, well, so I I did get the. Go ahead. I, I know that on our Saturday show we did point out um, a, a couple of really good devices, and we had some um, uh, listeners um, also point out some other ones. Uh, the mix, I'm not sure. What was Le, yeah, Lenovo mix. I think that the uh, listener pointed out, and then. No, not Lenovo. Was it Lenovo? I, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. I think it might have been the Lenovo mix. But then um, I had pointed out uh, a couple of other uh, Dell products, the Dell Latitude tablets and the uh, Dell Venue um, Pro 11. 
And uh, so we, we got into the specific models at the time, but I don't remember the uh, model numbers. And I was just pointing out the, the I series and the M series. And both of them have worked really well for me. So, Well, let me tell you that I was on Linux Lugcast on Friday. And uh, somebody brought oh, up that, that show? new I've Star Labs. Oh, you've never heard of it? Yeah, tell me about that. Oh, show. it's this wonderful. It's this wonderful biweekly first and third Friday of the month from nine p.m. to midnight uh, Eastern. Uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, there's there's some jerk on this show that talks about it every now and again. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't talk about it enough, unfortunately, because yeah. we need. Why don't we to get back on out. script, or we'll be chatting till midnight? <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, the 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 relevant point there was that um, <clears throat> someone had brought up Star Labs, and they came out with a tablet that has the N two hundred processor in it, which is essentially a replacement for like a Celeron. Um, you know, new branding for it, but it's, it, I believe it's the of, ends are new branding for the atom. Okay. But they're, so they are an x86 processor. Um, and they actually can run a full Linux distribution as 16 gigs of memory and 512 gigs of storage and, uh, a 12 and a half inch screen and a detachable keyboard and all of this stuff. And I'm like, Oh, I'm so close to to just buying the thing. Um, so, and I'm still not entirely convinced that I won't, but it is, I was able to pull myself back from the edge <laughs> a little bit. Well, but, buying um, a machine from UK with free shipping, that's pretty uh, yeah, actionable, you know? <laughs> yeah, big discount. It's, you know, right around $500 and it is free shipping. And, you know, it looks like a really great machine. Um but at the same time, I wanted to just sort of take a breath and think about, you know, what I was doing. So anyway, so that that's really kind of where I'm at. And I'm just surprised that uh, that there isn't more choice, um, that it's some small company in the UK that offers a, a tablet that sort of meets this requirement, uh, seemingly at least. So if anyone has any ideas or thoughts on this uh anything outside of the things that you heard us well, talk about or suggest i know pine you know. sells one but i think they're selling one with the, no. the older processors and lower end processors yeah. so yeah we and will it's not, get it's into not that x86 get processor. back to the show notes right yeah, yeah. anyway okay so, eric you wrote some stuff <laughs> what did i what did i miss well no i got that um we discussed everything. Didn't hear there. anything about Dex. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I, the latest tablet that I got is a Samsung Galaxy Tab S8 Plus. So it's the 12 inch model, and it's running Android. And I knew that was going to be, you know, the limiting factor. But it does run Dex. Um, and for any of you unfamiliar with Dex, so it, so Android one of the most infuriating things it does is memory management and power saving is that it will put applications to sleep and it does it pretty quickly. So if you're trying to multitask, so in multitasking on Android in Android mode is just split screen, maybe, you know, three things on the screen. So if you're actually trying to do something that requires more than those few things being in the foreground and therefore allowed to stay open, um, you you have a hard time. Things will 
put themselves to, you know, Android will put things to sleep. And then when you wake them back up, they're not in the state they were in and you lose work. And it's really frustrating. So Samsung at least gives you DeX as an option. And what it basically does is give you a quasi desktop experience where it allows you on a tablet device specifically to have a uh, taskbar, to have sort of a start menu sort of approach, or, you know, if you want to call it that. And the other thing that it does is it leaves applications resonant in memory and, and allows you to have floating windows. And so it really does like using a desktop operating system, but the, the one major drawback is that it's still Android and you're still using Android apps and therefore a mobile browser. And so you know, now, it doesn't really solve my They, they are, used to have the Linux on Dex project. And if you get an old enough one, you can still use yeah, it. Yeah, the Note but, 9 and uh, the S9. But um, S9, no. S8. But um, no, um, it's the exact same thing on, on the phones. Like my... Uh, Note 10 Plus will run Dex in the exact same way. And you can, you know, um, switch your browser over to look at the desktop site. And I guess you could also then use, like, um, what, Google Docs and actually have full-fledged um, a word processor and things like that. It's, it's very good for a lot of things, right? And it does do an admirable job of, uh, again you know, taking what is a pretty anemic multitasking experience on Android and turning it into something that is much better. But even in desktop view mode, um, that which is really just more about how it's representing the page, you, you still, again, you don't have developer tools the way you would on a, a full browser. You don't have... Um, just uh, some of the things that you would really want to have if you're doing any sort of website development and um, and really just relying on Android specific applications it it just it does it just doesn't give you it doesn't give me at least you know maybe some people that is good enough but yeah for me it's really not so that's in my mind I'm thinking okay well I could sell this tablet for the majority of what the the Star Labs <laughs> Starlight tablet would cost, and replace it with that. Um, so that's that's a potential. I'm not sure. Still sort of chewing on that. Um, so anyway, this the search continues, and will I ever actually be really happy? <laughs> I, I'm not entirely convinced. So okay, well let's talk about Linux phones. The uh, first thing on the list is always the Librem 5. The Librem 5 is a smartphone manufactured by Purism that is part of their Librem line of products. The phone is designed with the goal of using free software whenever possible. It includes PureOS, a Linux operating system by default, and as of 2021 is the only smartphone recommended by the Free Software Foundation. Like other Librem products, the Librem 5 focuses on privacy and freedom and includes features like hardware kill switches and easily replaceable components. Its name with a numerical 5 refers to its screen size and not a release version. After an announcement on August, 24th of August 2017, the distribution of developer kits and limited pre-release models occurred through 2019 and most of 2020. The first mass production version of Labrum 5 was shipped on 18th of November 2020. 
On November 18th of 2020, Purism announced via press release that they had begun shipping the finished version the finished version of the Labrum 5, known as Evergreen. Following its release in December 2020, Purism announced that they will offer a Librem 5 USA version of the phone for the price of $1,999, which is assembled in the United States for extra, extra supply chain security. According to Purism CEO Todd Weaver, quote, having a secure, auditable U.S.-based supply chain, including parts procurement, fabrication, testing, assembly, and fulfillment, all from within the same facility, is the best possible security story, end quote. In place of an integrated mobile SOC found in most smartphones, the Librem 5 uses six separate chips, i.mx8m quad, Silicon Labs RS9116, Broadmobi BM818, Jamalto PLS8, ST Microelectronics TCO LIV3F, Wolfson Microelectronics WM8962, and Texas Instruments BQ25895. The downside to having dedicated chips instead of an integrated system on chip is that it takes more energy to operate separate chips, and the phone's circuit boards are much larger. On the other hand, using separate components means longer support for the manufacturers than with mobile SOCs, which have short support timelines. According to Purism, the Librem 5 is designed to avoid planned obsolescence and will receive lifetime software updates. The Librem 5 is the first phone to contain a smart card reader, where an open PGP card can be inserted for secure cryptographic operations. Purism plans to use open PGP cards to implement storage of GPG keys, disk unlocking, secure authentication, a local password vault, protection of sensitive files, user persons, and travel persons. To promote better security, all the source code in the root, syst- root file system is free and open source software and can be reviewed by the user. Purism publishes the schematics of the Librem 5's printed circuit boards under the GPL 3.0 Plus license and publishes x-rays of the phone so that the user can verify that there haven't been any changes to the hardware, such as inserted spy chips. The Librem 5 ships with Purism's PureOS, a Debian GNU Linux derivative. The operating system uses a new mobile user interface developed by Purism called Fosh, a portmanteau from Phone Shell. It is based on Wayland, WL Roots, GTK3, and GNOME. Unlike other mobile Linux interfaces such as Ubuntu Touch and KDE Plasma Mobile, Fosh is based on tight integration with the desktop Linux software stack, which Purism developers believe will make it easier to maintain in the long term and incorporate it into existing desktop Linux distributions. Fosh has been packaged in a number of desktop distros, Debian, Arch, Manjaro, Fedora, and OpenSUSE, and is used by 8 of the 16 Linux ports for the PinePhone. The phone is a convergence device. If connected to a keyboard, monitor, and mouse, it can run Linux applications as a desktop computer would. Many desktop Linux applications can be run on the phone as well, albeit possibly without a touch-friendly UI. Any comments on that? Um... Fosh sucks. <laughs> you want okay, me to run this next I... part here for you? You can do that. All right. The Pine Phone and the Pine Phone Pro. I do have a Pine Phone still. Thank you to the listener that sent that to me. The Pine Phone Pro is powered by a rock chip hexacore SOC operating at 1.5 gigahertz and ships paired with 4 gigabytes of dual channel LP DDR4 RAM, as well as 128 gigs of internal eMMC flash storage. It features a high fidelity 
a 13 megapixel main camera, a sensor, and a 5 megapixel front facing camera. Pine64 worked closely with Rockchip's engineering team to fine tune the system on a chip's performance so it meets the necessarily necessary thermal and battery consumption envelopes. The result of this cooperation is the RK3399S, a RK3399 variant made specifically for the PinePhone Pro. Rockchip's team also was also instrumental in enabling the PinePhone Pro's suspend state, which allows the smartphone to receive calls and SMS messages while preserving battery. Hardware privacy dip switches for the cameras, the microphone, Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth headphone jack, enabling UART and the LTE modem, including GPS, are accessible under the back cover, just as on the original PinePhone. The PinePhone Pro features a vibrant in-cell IPS display covered with Corning Gorilla Glass 4 with an oleophobic coating offering superior scratch resistance and image clarity. The camera is covered by Corning Corning Gorilla Glass 4 and protected by an elevated bezel, similar to the one found on the original PinePhone. The chassis is slightly thicker, roughly 2 millimeters, than the original PinePhone's proportions of the original design were altered to accommodate the new display and to allow for improved heat dissipation. The coating on the back of the PinePhone Pro has been given a premium feel and engineered to minimize oily fingerprints. We think you'll be pleased with the end result. Openness means privacy and security as well as software choice. Just as the original PinePhone, the PinePhone Pro runs mainline Linux with patches which are being upstreamed with open source drivers. The default operating system for the PinePhone Pro is Manjaro Linux with KDE Plasma Mobile, but we expect to see it supported by most of the operating systems already available for the original PinePhone. It is also likely that the PinePhone Pro will give rise to new software options. We cannot wait to see what the community comes up with. And now I'm going to stop right there for just a second and say, um, yeah, Manjaro. I I really enjoyed that on the PinePhone. Basically, you can run whatever Linux runs using Manjaro on that phone. So desktop application, install it. There might be some scaling issues, but it works. Now, I still would not recommend it as a daily driver. If you depend on proprietary mainstream mobile messenger applications, banking applications, use loyalty or travel apps, consume DRM media, or play mobile video games on your fruit or Android smartphone, then the PinePhone Pro is likely not for you. Tasks such as opening applications, browsing the internet, interacting with the user interface, or watching videos are on par With recent mid-range Android devices, many of you will also be happy to hear that the native Linux games as well as popular retro game emulators work great on the PinePhone Pro. Be it Super Tux Kart, PSP, or Dreamcast emulation, you'll be in for a treat. When docked and connected to an external monitor and keyboard and mouse, the PinePhone Pro performs well when surfing the web, using the terminal, or an office suite, watching 1080p videos, and even in light photo editing. The perfect pocketable Linux computer on the go. Now I will have to try that, hooking it up with everything and seeing Still how. Still well in it, development, of course. Yeah, seeing seeing <laughs> how well it works um, on an external monitor as you know, like a really lightweight desktop. Yeah, but, yeah. The PinePhone uh, definitely. I cannot call it a daily driver, but it is something that I have had fun messing around with. And I will go back to every now and again. And mess well, but you had the more. original version too, yeah. not the Pro. 
Yeah, but uh, even then, I, I don't see how the um, the software could have improved enough. Maybe, maybe as a daily driver, but I don't know. Um, I think part of the problem is that the smartphone has become so ubiquitous that you know the idea of the they mentioned the <clears throat> proprietary mainstream mobile messenger applications. So you know, okay, maybe I can live without that. But there are, there are companies I do business with that make you authenticate via your smartphone or, um, you know, are just easier to use on the app than they are on their website. Uh, there, there are, and and that is just sort of the state of the world now is that the, there is this assumption that you have a smartphone that can do these things. And that's just something I think that until we can really crack that, people are going to have to be willing to have two different devices. Yeah. Cause like, you were mentioning, um, you know, the two-factor authentication apps. Yeah. They aren't really made to run on Linux. They're they're made to run on Android, or they're made to run on on Apple. And yeah, you're just not going to get it on Linux. Yeah. Yep. I was working for a company that was using, um, and it, you had to have an app on your phone. You couldn't do it on the computer uh, in order to get the code to authenticate to their, I think it was like Active Directory or, or something like that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know of any way around that. Well, I also have a UV key, which, which works for some of it, but there are some times when I just, you know, absolutely have to have the, uh, the Android application. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope they keep, keep pushing. This is something that just like the choice with browsers we talked about earlier with Firefox, I feel like this is something that we've sort of been rammed into this two, uh, two you know party system where we just don't have any real choice outside of that. And I would love to see someone else break through there and, and give yeah. us another and choice. I, I have always tried to various workarounds to get uh, Linux working on on my mobile devices in some kind of way, um, whether that be like with um, a VM. Uh, I've done some really horrible Linux VMs on some <laughs> Android devices. And like even the modern ones, um, I think the most recent issues that I had with modern VMs on, you know, my, my Note 10 Plus, which has 12 gigs of RAM. So that really wasn't any kind of stopping point there. And, you know, a really decent processor. It got to be that the um, the version of Linux that you were installing, uh, the only user that it provided was root. So it was really like half an uh, operating system. And yeah. You could create a user and then you'd have to jump through all these other hoops and then things still only kind of worked. Like you can't run VLC as root. So right. yeah, there, there, there were some pretty big issues there and i just never could get it working right in in any way that wasn't completely annoying but um you know uh, in in the stuff i mentioned i I was talking because i I, i've been talking about using chrome remote desktop um from like my office to access my home computer while using samsung dex and that makes it look like i'm just plain running linux especially on a high-end network and having the really low latency but um i haven't done it for like 
two weeks now because I've been super busy. And then yesterday I wanted to test it out on some lower end Android devices to see how well you can make those work as like a thin client. Um, cause Chrome remote desktop and VNC are your only two choices. And I've never really liked VNC, but I'll get to that some more in just a minute. And for some reason, um, multiple computers that I've tested it out on, I cannot get Chrome remote desktop to go online for any of my devices, like the server devices that they get listed as, um, devices that I have connected to Chrome remote desktop. But then I tell them to go online, I enter the pin, and they still list as offline. And I've yeah. gone through the process multiple times, and I cannot get anything turned on and accessible from Chrome Remote Desktop anymore, which it really kind of sucks. I really wanted to test out those devices. So, um, and it did work out pretty well when I was using it before. But since it didn't work, I decided to go to the old standby of... Um, VNC. So, um, well, I'll never use real VNC again because they've gone to a paid model and basically you can't do anything with them. So, uh, I switched to tight VNC and, um, I tried out tight VNC. Um, you know, I, I got it installed on my computer and then I got the, uh, VNC viewer installed on my phone, I was trying it out on my phone before I switched to the other devices, and all I could get to show up is gray screens. So I don't know what the hmm. issue is. I gotta find an. I know that there are a couple other applications out there that'll let you do it, probably like Team Viewer or something like that. But I'm not a big fan of supporting Team Viewer because of what it gets used for, which is usually, um, you know. There's a lot of scams that Scamming. run off, yeah. off of TeamViewer uh, against right. older people. Now, I, that's nothing against TeamViewer. That's something completely against the scammers. But I, I just still don't feel comfortable trying to put that into my workflow. Yeah. I've got a couple of things. Uh, AnyDesk is a decent uh, alternative to TeamViewer and others. Uh, they have reasonable licensing fees if you do want to buy it, but it's free for personal use uh, and it works on mobile devices as well as uh, desktop operating systems. Um, I've also been playing with Tailscale, which is sort of a distributed VPN system, and that allows for connectivity between your devices when you're remote. And then once you have that connectivity, then you can use different you know, VNCs or, or things like that. Um, I've used, um, it's a game streaming specifically. It's called Moonlight and Sunlight. Sunlight's the server, Moonlight is the receiver. And, uh, but it also allows you to do a remote desktop session. And so I've, I've used that combination over TailScale and it works really well. So I think there are some other options, but you're right. I think maybe just connecting uh, almost like thin client style to a more capable desktop operating system somewhere being hosted somewhere else might be an alternative as well. So I have to kind of dig in that a little bit and see if that might work. Well, I would love it if X2Go had an Android client, but yeah, that I, I, I've been barking up that tree for almost a decade now. And I don't know how much longer X2Go is going to be useful um, unless they, you know, get a Wayland to go type of thing. So, Yeah. Well, sadly, that is about all there is in real Linux on phones. Uh, I'm still of the opinion that we should 
uh, wait another episode to talk about the rest of this. Oh, uh, no one has supported me. On no, that, hold so. on, hold on. Where are we at? We're, <laughs> we're at the uh, hour and a half mark. You're, you're hey, to make it yeah. for a relatively short show. I'm happy with that, and then uh, <laughs> I'm okay with um, doing the rest of this on, on another show. Yeah, there. If you start scrolling, there's a, there it's four. Yeah, four more pages. Yeah, that, so. that's plenty enough for another show. <clears throat> yeah, let's let's. I'm with you. I think this is good. Okay. Well, in which case, that's our innards. Take it, Joe. Oh, okay. Moving on to vibrations from the ether, and there is nothing. Nothing. You people don't love us anymore. Right. You just send letters and letters and emails and all kinds of long chats well, in our Discord. and Maybe I'll annoy some people and they'll write in to say, please don't let this guy right, right. <laughs> stay on. Uh, you'll be welcome back anytime you want to be here. They don't have anything to say about that. No, but we love people hearing people's opinions. We love, um, you know, g- give us show ideas because there are some times where we just run out of ideas. Yeah. And, and we also know that there are a lot of people out there that have different situations where they're, you know, doing things like we're doing. And if anything we've talked about here, if you have sort of feedback, I mean, that's why I'm on the show, because I always felt like I had some some kind of comment to make. Uh, if you have any ideas about uh, mobile devices that we talked about or any anything else in the, the news or just, you know, we would love to hear it. You just wanted to be able to say, shut up, Moss, to my face. <laughs> <laughs> Not on the show. <laughs> Okay, moving on. Check this out. We have one item in Check This Out this week. We should probably start putting some more in there on our own. Now, my wife shared with me a really cool um, video from, I believe it was CNN. And I enjoyed watching it. Sadly, I put the link in there wrong. So it's showing up as a Facebook link. I'll have to probably correct that later. But it is from CNN, and it's um, UK or Ukraine drone training. Now they actually go into um, showing that they're putting together their own drones um, using PCBs and soldering it all together, and uh, the training that they go through, and you know, a lot, a lot of women helping out since uh, they don't want to put women on the front line, and guys helping out and just the women training the men and all that jazz. And it's just really cool what they're doing with drones and and teaching people how to drop bombs with drones. Yes, I know that's a little bit scary, but you know, it's the future probably of, uh, warfare. And it's interesting how much of what they're doing in Ukraine is DIY. I, I do recommend it and maybe find some more information elsewhere and just see what they're doing. Well, this is relevant because I read today that there was actually an attack by Russia using 25 drones, and Ukraine was able to shoot down 22 of them. That's because Russia is buying their drones from Iran. (laughs) Well, whatever the case is, uh, I certainly hope that Ukraine continues forward. And it does look like, just from watching this, they're using a lot of sort of off-the-shelf technology and... um, 
Yeah, well, that's they're, great. They're I building think. it with what they have. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's You'll awesome. You'll get a Slava Ukraini from me, yep. Uh, I mean, you, 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 I was almost convinced to go and volunteer for their dr- drone program there. Go there with a <laughs> soldering iron and a controller and just go for it. But you can't get enough Pi Zero W2s. Uh, well, right, but I can get the, the Zero Ws. Oh, you could probably just use an Arduino. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I'd have to think about that one. Or no, the Pico. Pico's got a bit, mm. bit more processing power. Okay, moving on. Housekeeping and announcements. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mintcast. If you see something you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram and Discord or post directly at https colon slash slash mintcast.org. Our next episode is 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Sunday, September 17th, 2023. And you can get that converted to your time zone with the link in the show notes. Next roundtable live stream, 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Saturday, September 23rd, 2023. And there's a link in the show notes to get that converted to your time zone. All live stream information is at mintcast.org slash live stream. And uh, that's the end of the show. For the wrap up, I've been Joe. And if you like the sound of my voice, you can catch me on a couple other um, podcasts. That's the Linux Link Tech Show, TLLTS.org, Linux Lugcast, LinuxLugcast.com. Um, you can send me an email directly, jb at mintcast.org, or you can buy me a coffee at Kofi or and. Moss, how about you? Well, I'm still Moss, and I have other podcasts, Full Circle Weekly News and Distro Hopper's Digest. You can email me at bardmoss at pm.me. I'm on Mastodon as at zyvala at hosttux.social, and my other contact information can be found at itsmoss.com. Bill's not here. Uh, you can catch him, Bill, at mintcast.org, Bill underscore H on Discord, at WCHauser3 at Fostodon.org on Mastodon, at WCHauser3 on Twitter, and WCHauser3 on Facebook. Also check out his other podcasts, Linux OTC and Three Fat Truckers. There are links in the show notes. Majid also couldn't make it today. He had to work, or no, his daughter had a thing. You can uh, email him directly, Majid at mintcast.org. At Atypical Doctor on Twitter, Atypical Anesthetist, Atypical Anesthetist on Instagram, and the Atypical Anesthetist podcast on Spotify. Eric, where can we He's, find you? He says anesthetist. Anesthetist. Well, he is British, so you know. <laughs> He's allowed uh, to I'm be on wrong. Most, that's right. Well, yeah, I've got a whole theory on that. Anyway, most social media outlets, uh, I, I'm on the services, uh, although I did just get off of uh, X slash Twitter. I'm, I'm done with that. Mm-hmm. But you can find me as Eric Adams. Uh, please note that I am not the mayor of New York City, just in case there's any confusion. Also, I can be reached by email as of today at eric at mintcast.org. In addition to Mintcast, I'm also a part of Distro Hoppers Digest, as well as, well as the Linux Saloon Stream and Linux Lugcast. Okay, before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Someone, probably Bill, for our audio editing. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. 
Hobstar for our logo, and at RD for the animated Discord logo, Londoner for our time sinks and various other contributions, including most of the news, Bill Hauser for hosting the server which runs our website, website maintenance, and the Nextcloud server on which we host our show notes and raw audio. And last but not least, the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Thank you, Clem. Thanks, Clem. And Co. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mint.